great and creative reminder of how faithful our God is to us and speaks to us everywhere we go. And what a, a gift to have the blue skies and no smoke and the, the cooling temps. We are so blessed. God is so good to us. And in that same spirit, let us be called into worship with these words from the psalmist. Sing to God, O kingdoms of the earth. Sing praises to the Lord. O rider in the heavens, the ancient heavens, listen. He sends out his voice, his mighty voice. Ascribe power to God, whose majesty is over Israel, and whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God in his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. May we bless and give thanks to God for his amazing faithfulness. Let those who are able stand, but come now together. Let us worship the living God. My friends, hear the words of assurance that assure us that God loves us. From before the foundations of time, God was reaching out to claim us. And through the prophet Isaiah, he speaks these words to us. Comfort. Oh, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and hear her cry that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all people shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. My friends, believe the good news of the gospel. For every mountain in our lives that seems impossible, for every valley that tries to swallow us up, the good news of God in Jesus Christ is that God has come to comfort us and make us whole. Celebrate it and tell it to the world in Jesus Christ. We have forgiveness. It's good to be the body of Christ, and it's good to know that we are adopted. It's good to know that we belong to God because God first loved us as the bells have just played for us. God so loved the world that he came looking for us in love. And John's gospel speaks to that so profoundly. John, as I've been telling you, wrote last. We're going through the whole of John's gospel. We will be going through it throughout this calendar year and into the new year. Because we're going to explore the cosmic, overarching nature of the work that God has done and is doing in us for his glory. So let's listen to that today. We've just gone through the last few weeks what we call the prologue to John's gospel. And I've been reading all of that for us each Sunday, verses 1 through 18. But today we're going to focus on the revelation to old Israel and to all of us of who God was in coming in Jesus Christ. So listen as I read for us from John chapter 1, verses 19 to 34. Listen to God's word. John tells us, this is the testimony given by John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, what then? 
Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you? Let us have an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice. Crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent by the Pharisees. They asked John, why then are you baptizing if you are neither the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water. Among you stands one whom you do not know, the one who is coming after me. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. This took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. Now remember, John was born first. So he's saying that Jesus was before the foundations of time. I myself did not know him. I myself did not know him. But I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May this word truly be God's word to us. And may we embrace it and be transformed by the hearing and living of it. Let's pray. Oh God, our Father, you have come to find us in word and in power, but most of all, in your presence with us in Jesus Christ. And we pray that the full assurance of that would come and find us now in your Holy Spirit, and that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be truly acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock, and you are our redeemer. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Wilderness is a pretty interesting thing, and uh, some of us like to go out into the wilderness a little bit, but we're all in the wilderness in one way or another all the time. Because we're on our way home and we're in a place that we do not necessarily, in fact, we do not know how to navigate on our own. The late Henry Nouwen said, the great illusion of leadership is to think that anyone can be led out of the desert by someone who has never been there. 
we are in a wilderness we need to be led out of, and we need the one and only who has truly been into the wilderness of separation from God and can bridge us back to that place. And there's only one who has done both, and that is Jesus Christ. And that is what John came to testify to. Now, John was called John the Baptist for a reason. He was baptizing, but you notice where he was baptizing? He was baptizing down at the Jordan, and we many of us have been to that particular place. It's been recently, in the last few years, opened up, and it is in a really, really tough place. You have to go down the Jericho Road, the place where the, uh, the man was beat up on the way to Jericho, if you know the story of the Good Samaritan. It's a dangerous place to go to. But the reason that John was down there was, uh, was manifold. First of all, he was John the Baptist. If he tried to baptize in Jerusalem, they would have had to call him John the Presbyterian because there's not enough water in Jerusalem to truly immerse someone. Okay? But here's the other reason, all kidding aside. He is John the Baptist because he is calling people out of their old way of life and into a new way of life. And to be baptized is to be initiated into a new way of living and thinking and acting. And that's exactly what he was calling people into that space to experience. And you had to leave the holy city. You had to leave the comforts of, that, of Jerusalem and go down into that wild place and say, okay, here I am. Show me what it means to be changed. And that's what John was there pointing toward, to show what it truly means to be changed by the power of God's love. Now, you don't have to be a sociologist or a psychologist or a brain surgeon or even a pastor to recognize something I've been talking about a lot recently, and that is, have you noticed this? There is a lot of of very discontented and downright unhappy people out there. There's a lot of discontent. There's a lot of unhappiness. In fact, I, I see a distinct absence of joy. You know the difference between joy and happiness? Joy is independent of circumstance. There's a lot of unhappy people out there because the circumstance isn't just quite how they want it to be. But what we need is far greater than that. We need joy that is independent of circumstance. And that joy can only come from the fact that we belong body and soul in life and in death to the one who's given his life for us. I think men in particular, guys, forgive me, but I'll just say for myself, seem to live with a constant degree of depression of one kind or another. We're predisposed to that. But unfortunately, in our effort to be equal with one another in these days and to remove all gender stereotypes, It seems that women are getting pretty good at being depressed and discouraged, too. Are you with me? If you look around in our world, it's an equal opportunity offender. We drop into that abyss of discontent and discouragement because we're looking around in the world for answers and solutions. We're looking around our comfortable confines, places where we think we ought to be able to have things go just our way, because after all, we're pretty good people, aren't we? Right? And we're not getting it, because we're looking 
to the world. We're looking to the situation and the circumstance to bring our hope. Now, I, uh, forgive me, but I think I know why. And it comes again from one of my favorite writers, John Steinbeck, who stated it well in his last novel, his last gaffe, 1962, using Shakespeare's words from Richard III, in which he said, now is the winter of our discontent. 1962, he's writing about America. And in fact, on the, the cover leaf of, of the inside of that book, The Winter of Our Discontent, and I commend it to your reading, he said, readers seeking to identify the fictional people and places here described would do better to inspect their own communities and search their own hearts. For this book is about a large part of America today, the winter of our discontent. 1962. His point is that at the core of our discontent is not knowing who we are and trying to be and to have someone or be someone or have something we were never meant to have and never meant to be. You see, the discontent that is within us is God's calling out into the wilderness. God never meant for us to be content with the things of this world or the circumstances of this world except that we be totally reliant upon him because it is out in the wilderness and only when we're uncomfortable and only when it feels like we don't have enough of this world that we are truly enabled to be encountered by the living Jesus Christ who says, ah, good, now we've got somewhere to go. Someone said to me this week, I, I, I think I've hit bottom. I, I think I'm all out of solutions. I said, that's great. Oh, real pastoral. <laughs> I said, that's where God has the most room to work. It's when we're out of our solutions and have come to the end of our know-how that God's grace really has room to flood the corners of our lives that are really troubled. Now, John, John knew this. You know why John knew this? Because John knew who he was. But the people who came to ask him who he was and who were sent to ask that did not know who they were. And they did not know why they were alive. But they were very threatened by John. And we can pretty much tell that they were sent and that they came out to see what John was doing because they were quite sure that he was a threat to them because he was saying, you've got to come out here. You can't stay home where it's comfortable. You've got to come out and do something dramatic. And more to the point, have something dramatic happen to you. Because we know that John said in all the other Gospels as well, repent for the kingdom of God has come near. Now repent means to literally turn around. And only God can turn us around. And only as we're hearing what God is saying to us will we experience that happening to us. Now, that's a real threat to a lot of people. It was a threat to the scribes and the Pharisees and who came down to that setting. They thought they were going to be able to outwit John. Ironically, they were a threat to themselves. As we all are who do not let ourselves be called out into the wilderness to discover who we really are, and for these few years, why we are really here. See, there's our discontent. 
John knew who he was not. That's pretty good, isn't it? God knew who he was not. One of my favorite expressions is, the the greatest thing I love about God is that God does not think he's me. (laughs) Meaning, I too often think that I'm God, but John knew he was not. And so they gave him an opportunity to say, are you all these things? He said, no. He got tired of the world's games. He got tired of the world trying to box him in and make him something he was not. And so he told them who he was. He said something that can be our biography, not just our theology. He said, I'm the one that Isaiah was talking about. I am the voice of one crying out, of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. At the risk of oversimplifying, which by the way, I love to do, I love to oversimplify, because I'm not a real complicated person and I don't understand complicated things. That is why you and I are here. I may have never met you before and I can tell you exactly why you are here. I know why you've been given breath. I know why there's blood coursing through your veins. I know why you're in this setting and I know why you're alive. And that is to proclaim the presence of the living God in Jesus Christ. And you may not even know who Jesus Christ is. But that's why you're here. That's why we're all here. And until we as a human race on this tiny little globe understand this, we will be at the very least discontent and more likely destructive of ourselves and our environment. Until we realize there are no shortcuts, there is one straight path, and that is the path to the foot of the cross where the God of the universe came in person to give himself up for us and to say, you need me and I love you so much I will give myself to show you that. Now recently, I I was confronted with needing to get in touch with this call to say, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the path of the Lord. I, uh, I went for my annual insurance physical, probably many of you have those requirements. And my doctor had moved on, so I was Uh, shuffled to uh, a wonderful PA who who asked me in the exam because a person had never met me before, so uh, what do you do? People want to know what we do, don't they? One of the first things, no matter if you meet somebody for the first time, so what do you do? Because we've come to connect what we do with who we are. And our conceptions of this are so often wrong because we are so much more than the sum of what we do. Particularly, you say, well, I'm retired. Oh, well, you don't do anything, do you? (laughs) And those of you who are retired and are are mentoring me in this are teaching me that I'm going to be a whole lot busier in a year than I think I am right now. Thank you very much. So what do you do was the question. And... uh, I get this asked this so often, and I know the preconceptions of, because of what I do are, are so often wrong. I, I've just taken to saying, and I did then, uh, well, I talk <laughs> a lot. And I, and I said, I help lost people find their way home. And, and she said, so what does that mean? 
Oh, funny you should ask. We could have just spent a couple hours, but you know managed healthcare. I wasn't going to get that much time. So I, <laughs> I said, it means I'm the pastor of the Presbyterian Church, which I, with deep gratitude and humility, tell people. But the reality is I could have been what my dad was. Not as good as, as him, but I could have been a welder and could have responded in the same way. I help lost people find their way home. My dad could have said that as a welder. I stick things together so they don't come apart. Isn't that great? He probably could have done that better than I could. We get so caught up in making a living and defining what it is we do with our hours that we forget what it means to make a life. It seems like uh, I'm always forgetting this. I'm always forgetting this. And John, John was even forgetting this. He's Jesus' cousin. They've grown up together. He knew who Jesus was, at least in his head. I'm sure their moms had, had told them how they came to be. You know, your, 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 your great aunt Elizabeth, actually she's cousin, you know, she wasn't supposed to have a baby. And your cousin John was born six months before you were. And me, your dad and I, well, we never, you know, well, we'll have that talk later, but we never, <laughs> seriously. They knew who they were. They knew where they had come from. And John says, I did not even realize who he was. I myself did not know him, he said. But the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit, the spirit of the living God, descend and remain. He's the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. You see, John's baptism is an initiation. It's a calling down into that place where repentance takes place. And then once we are turned around by that repentance, the one living God, who is Jesus Christ, baptizes us with his Holy Spirit. And it happens all at once because as God turns us around, he claims us with that baptizing power. See, the point is that only as we are open to the work of God's baptizing Holy Spirit, will we know who we are and whose we are, why we are here, and what makes life meaningful and filled with the shalom, the peace of God's wholeness. We will be restless if we're trying anything less than this. John said, I baptize with water. <laughs> and ever since we've been arguing about how much water to use and in what way, right? rather than realizing what John was saying. I am here to point you to the one, to get you in the door, and to him who will baptize you into himself. John's voice in the wilderness calls us to turn around and realize who it is that is encountering us. As I said, John initiates us to knowing we need a new life. John calls us down from Jerusalem, out of the comfort, out of our predispositions and our presuppositions about what will make life hold, calls us down to the Jordan. Jesus' baptism is that which regenerates us and gives us that new life. We are here to be a voice that calls the world down to the Jordan and into relationship with Jesus Christ, to both John said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away 
the sin of the world, who takes away missing the mark, who takes away the disconnect between humanity and God. To be baptized into this awareness means to understand what baptism truly means. It means to come out from underneath the water of discontent and realize we have been rescued. The Greek word for baptism, baptizen, means to come out from underneath the water. And if any of you have ever washed a baby and accidentally got its face covered with water, dipped it underneath, they come up doing what? Gasping and crying. And that's exactly what our baptism needs to be. (gasps) Taking in that breath of the Spirit, crying out our helplessness, and with gratitude saying, thank you for bringing me out. I would have been dead unless you pulled me out from underneath. And when this is happening, and I mean I-N-G, because it never goes away. The effect of our baptism never goes away. God is leading us homeward. We join our lives in saying with the very personality we have and what we do every day, make straight the way of the Lord. Quit fooling around with shortcuts, realizing Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one who enables us in the power of his Holy Spirit to know who we are and realizing that his, this changes everything. When we know who, whose we are and we know who we are in Jesus Christ, whoa, all of the discontent can be put aside because we're no longer chasing rainbows. We have already been claimed by that adopting promise to realize that we have been claimed by God, the God of the universe changes our whole identity. We are indeed baroness, children of the living God. We are adopted with crowns and scepters, all of us. It really straightens out the road because there are no more of those side trips. It calls us away from those distracting detours that go nowhere and into a wilderness, granted, a scary place of new beginning and new understanding. Even if we're more than a certain age. New beginning all the time. What it means to belong to God in every way, in everything that we are about, in our anger, in our rage, in our disappointment, in our failure, in our successes, when we don't think we need anything or anybody, calls us into a new way of being humbled, It changes how we think. It changes our attitudes and our actions. What we dwell on, the things we worry about. It changes the things that wake us up at two o'clock in the morning. Because when we belong to the living God and when we've been called out into his wilderness and we wake up at two o'clock in the morning, we just go, oh yeah, I belong to the, the son of the living God. I'm going back to sleep. Instead of going, oh wow, I wonder... If I turned off the light, you know, whatever. You see, it changes what we allow to be and not be part of our lives. And all of us have parts of our lives that are making us discontent. And when we live with the living God, those things go away. We we have no more room for them. Do you know why? 
because our lives have been flooded with the joy of the living God. To hear God's call in the wilderness then is to go out to places of being and living that we never thought we would be going to, to people we never thought we would be going to, and eliminating the ambiguity. Well, maybe God's faithful, maybe not. Eliminating that ambiguity that keeps us from simply saying and living one simple statement. Jesus is Lord. Do you know what it means to say Jesus is Lord? It means he owns everything. He owns my worry. He owns my doubt. He owns my fear. He owns my anger, my sorrow, my disappointment. He owns everything. Jesus is Lord. And if he owns those things, do you know what he's going to do with all those negative things? As far as the east is from the west, so far does God remove those things from us. To trust God in the wilderness makes us someone we never knew we could be because we are living in his spirit, capital S, not our spirit of discontent. So let me ask you as we conclude, how do we need to let this call touch our lives? What's going on in your life, my life, our life together that keeps us from being anything but joyful in God's power, that keeps us from turning around and simply saying, I belong to the living God. Uh, A woman I I met once experienced this need to be reoriented. And at one particular time in her life, uh, she realized that in a particular way. She was She's married to a famous Christian professor and, uh, and speaker, and at the time, they would live earlier in, in his career, everywhere they went, he was like a rock star, and she was an afterthought, and people would want to talk to him with adulation, and you're so famous, and you're so wonderful, and you say all the right stuff, and they would walk up to her, and they would say, and, and so what is it you do? Chopped liver. <laughs> and, and she would say, you know, they would be saying, well, you must not be much. But at that time, she was a mom raising two young children, and she began to reply again and again, well, since you asked, let me tell you. I am socializing two homo sapiens into the dominant values of the Judeo-Christian tradition in order that they may become instruments for the transformation of the social order into the kind of eschatological utopia that God willed from the beginning of creation. And then she would say, And what is it you do? (laughs) That's a fancy way of saying, I'm telling my kids that Jesus is Lord, and I'm making straight in the wilderness a highway for the king to come and bring down every mountain and fill every valley so that people will know that he and he alone is hope. Whoa, how about that? See, my friends, it, it doesn't matter what we do or have done or haven't done by our estimation. It doesn't matter how beat up we have been or what events may have crashed in upon us. It doesn't matter how much we think we have failed or been failed by this world. God is calling us out to his wilderness to receive a new life and a new identity. And what matters is that God is calling us, that God is empowering us us in his Holy Spirit to prepare the way. 
into lives of people to encounter the living God who offers to remove discontent and to make them new people. Again, it's Christmas. John's gospel is Christmas in which we sing with our new identity, joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. John said, I'm not worthy to untie or tie his shoes, which meant that he being worse than not even be able to take out his trash. But because of who Jesus was, because of who Jesus is, John was given the power to do exactly what you and I get to do, announce the rebirth of the world. How about that for a vocation? How about that, getting to say, hey, I know what's going wrong in the world, and I know the one thing that's going to make things right. Friends, God loves us so much. He loves you. He loves me. He loves us. He loves his church. That he not only came looking for us to fill that roadbed that we could never repair or fill in with all of our worldly efforts, but he has given us the gift of knowing and telling what we all need to know, and that is ours now in Jesus Christ. Let's go out to the wilderness every day, every moment, and let Jesus use us to show the world the straight way home. And when someone asks us who we are, or what is it you do, may we tell them simply this. I am one who has been adopted. I am one who has been claimed. I am one who has been made part of royalty. I am one who has been claimed by the grace of Jesus Christ to tell of a newness of life that comes from him. Would you like this? Amen. Father, you love us so much. And we can get so distracted from this, but we praise you for your Holy Spirit who comes again and again and again to remind us of your choosing and adopting us and proclaiming to us that voice that says all things have been made new. Teach us to live in this for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May that be our great desire. May it be a great gift that we open up. And may we realize as we go out from this place, thinking of those people who have not heard that voice crying in the wilderness, that we go nowhere by accident. Where we go, God is sending us. Where we are, our Lord has a purpose in our being there. Because Jesus Christ indwells us, he has something he wants to do through us where we are. May we believe it and therefore go joyfully in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the love of God the Father, in the communion and the fellowship and the equipping power of God's Holy Spirit every step of the way. Amen. Amen.